love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday's Talking Football. Are you doing this or not? What's happening? No, you're not doing it. Well, Ewan was he was hassling me to do it tonight, but now he's taking the he's taking the huff because I said that he wanted to do it and he was just playing hard to get. So now he's he's storming out, pouting. Uh, plenty of stuff to talk about tonight and plenty of guests as well. Uh, George Cairns, Hamilton Ackie's director of uh, Academy, is going to be with me shortly. Uh, and there's a reason for that, which is a very positive reason. Uh, George Fraser talks about Lowland League football. Charlie Richmond on uh, the antics of the Bulgarian fans uh, against England and what should and shouldn't happen. And Chris Marshall talks to us about Scottish Women's Cup football. But first, let me uh, let me bring on our first guest tonight. And it's always good to talk to people from Hamilton Ackies. Uh, and we've done it plenty of times over the years uh, because they're a very innovative club in terms of the way they develop young players. An academy that was really 10 years in the making to develop uh, some fairly kind of spectacular players, to be honest with you. Uh, and they're at it again. Hamilton have uh, the leading the list for most minutes to uh, to under twenty three players in the league, given to under twenty three players. One thousand five hundred thirty minutes to under twenty one players, and one thousand eight hundred eighty nine to under twenty three players. George Cairns, academy director at Hamilton. George, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Uh, first of all, um, that's really something to be quite proud of, isn't it? Yeah, Bill, uh, thanks for, for having me on. Apologies, as obviously I'm in the car driving up to watch a wee under 14 just playing at Lennox Town tonight against Celtic, so apologies if there's any interference or whatever. No, but, it's yeah, fine. No, it's a great start. It's a great start, Bill. Uh, we're proud of what we do at Hamilton. We, we work really hard at it, so when these stats come through, it's, uh, it's a fat in the back for everyone at the club. Owners, coaches, youth coaches, academy coaches, you know, there's a... There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people work at Hamilton and make this happen, Bill. George, it's not the first time that Hamilton have been held up as an example. It's, it's happened many times over the last few seasons and even before that. But it, it was quite a, quite a decision. And, and we've spoken to Les and we've spoken to uh, Ronnie many times about this. It, it was something which was going to always be a slow burn. Uh, and as I say, it was almost 10 years in the making. But it really has reaped dividends for you as a club, not just in terms of your playing personnel and your playing staff, but in terms of sustaining income coming to Hamilton Ackies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's actually around about 13 years, Bill, to be fair. Uh, no, it's, it, it was all started back when Ronnie bought the club and obviously Les came on board. Uh, Carl McGowan, one of the owners of the club as well, the... Their ethos right from the start, Bill, was we want to try and create as many young players and show them a pathway to our first team uh, as possible. And, and to be fair, they've stuck by that all the years they've been there. And um, we've been lucky enough to obviously have people go play for their clubs, for their countries and different things. So, you know, credit to everyone at the club, Bill. As I said, it's always, it's always a great team effort, but it starts for the guys that actually own the club. Their ethos is, you know, can we, could we start this academy? Could we... Could we make it better? And we started, we started 13 years ago, and, and, and we struggled, don't get me wrong, we struggled the first few years, but, you know, it takes time to build these things, and you're right, it does, over the period of, of the 13 years, it's built into being uh, a great academy with that, that option of having that pathway to the first team built. George, one of the things that, that I, I always find quite impressive about, about Aki's academy system is the fact that 
there's a lot of young guys who have been sought by other clubs, including the old firm, who have chosen Hamilton. Um, and they've chosen Hamilton because it's been a pathway to getting a, 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 a chance in the first team. A lot of clubs have decent academy setups and good academy setups, but no guarantee that you'll ever figure for the first team. Um, with Hamilton, you do have, and there's a, a whole litany of people that are there that you can look at and say, well, they did it. There's no reason why I can't do it if I work hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said, yeah. at, at the football club itself, Bill, we have we have pictures all around our stadium with kids that have did it. From you know, most of these players we're talking about under 21s to under 23s. Most of these kids have been with us when they're eight and nine, so they've came very young. They've stuck with it. They've did the hard work, and obviously they've reaped the the, the rewards. The Greg Dockers that moved on to Rangers, you know, even your your Amy Brophy's that's moved on to Kilmarnock, Michael Devlin to Aberdeen, Lewis Ferguson to Aberdeen. There's a full list of players, you know, you can go way back to your, your MacArthur and your McCarthy's as well, who, who have done well for themselves as well. But, yeah, you know, it's it, it, it's about giving kids a chance. If you can if you can show the kid the pathway and they can see that by, you know, they can see that by looking at pictures at the stadium. If they look at a player and think, goodness me, Ali Crawford's came through that system, you know, and other players are coming through the system. If you show these things, it's an example, you know, and, and you know, where they're showing the picture helps. It creates that pathway. You know, a lot of people say, oh, we, we, you know, come join an academy, you get to go and play in the first team. But it, it, you know yourself, well, that doesn't always happen that way. There's a lot of kids that won't make it to the first team, but if you can show that pathway, do the right things, do the things, and be lucky sometimes as well. Well, sometimes you have to be a wee bit lucky as well. Uh, and have a manager and coaches that believe in you that will go and play you knowing that you'll make mistakes but at a young age some of the kids will make mistakes but it's learning by you know making mistakes and can you bounce back from that uh, and there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that, that make that player won't sure. play for the first team but yeah. George, George, you've got a very definite blueprint. Talk us through, you know, what the ethos is and why it's so successful at Hamilton. Um, you know, I, I know that you take kids from a young age, but from that young age, you're already starting to groom them, aren't you, to play the way the first team play? Yeah, well, you know, we have a philosophy at the academy. If I give you all my secrets, but Liverpool or what, and all that, Barcelona or what, and all that, and Chelsea and all these people or what, and all that, kidding aside, Bill, kidding aside, you know, we do have a blueprint. Sometimes the blueprint, you know, it's when we take a kid, if we sign a kid at under-11s, but we have them at under-10s, we sign them at under-11s, it's trying to keep them, Bill, the easiest thing is to say, you know, well, you're not doing quite well, you're not good enough, we're not going to carry you forward. We tend to carry the kids forward, Bill, because we see that kids now, We've been doing it that long. Kids will, kids will, will come through at 15. So some kids are the best kids at 11s, only the best kids at 15s and 16s. But, you know, and you'll always, I always say, you know, when I have parents meetings and all the things that we do, you know, sometimes the kid you don't think is going to make it actually makes it, you know. So it's just giving them a chance. Giving them a chance and giving them a, as you say, giving them a hope because, you're, you know, you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with dreams. They all want to be football players. Not everybody can be that football player. But at Hamilton, you know, we like to think we've got a great support mechanism in there that we can try and help them and try and push them to go and get what they're actually looking for in life. George, how important is it, as, as well as developing these these young men as, as footballers and young girls as footballers, what is it that you... How important is it for you as a director of academy to also... And you've said they all can't make it, and that's absolutely true, but I think the facts speak for themselves. More make it through to a good level coming through from Hamilton than enough don't but 
what is it that you you can do to support the ones that are not going to make it but still encourage them to play the game because one of the biggest complaints I hear from people is kids are cut loose at a young age and we lose them to the game we lose a lot of kids to, to the game, but I think we lose. I think one of the stats I read a couple of months ago was between the ages of 16 and 18 kids that, that were maybe let go at clubs or whatever, you know, you were losing 65% of them out of football. Mm-hmm. They just gave up in football and did other things. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough thing. Uh, what we've got to try and do is we always we always like to try and think we make them better people, Bill, as well as making better football players yeah. or making them football players. We always like to think we have an aspect of trying to make them better football. We try and educate them about, you know, we, we have a lot of nights. Colin McGowan's a, a big, avid fan of, of, of drug awareness and all the different things that are out there for kids, and kids can, can also be involved in loads of things. But we, we like to think the education side of it is important as well. You know, can we, can, can we help them that side of it? Can we have, we have a homework room at the stadium where kids can come and do their homework before they go and play? And, you know, these kids that maybe don't get the full-time contracts, you know, what we try and do is we, we, we try and find them a club bill that, that, that maybe take them and give them a chance as well, you know, because because now we say this to kids, because the door's shut at Hamilton, and believe me, it's a, it's, it's tough when, when you're the guy sitting in front of some young kid and you're saying to him, you know, listen, we're, we're not going to carry you forward. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing you're doing. You're killing his dream. But what we try and do as a club is we try and support that as much as possible and help him find another club because... No, everybody's going to make it at Hamilton. You know, Uranium Brophy's has done well at Kilmarnock. There's a, there's a list of players that have went away and done well in other, in other teams, you know. and Hamilton can't be the be-all and end-all. But what we can do is we can be stepping stone to bigger and better things, and we can also help educate as well. George, one of the things I once said to, to Les, and I think I said it to Ronnie as well, was about the importance of being a premiership team. And, you know, you want to be a premiership team and have been very successful at staying in the, the Premier League in Scotland for a number of seasons now. But I think both of them said to me that the model that you run at Hamilton as a business model as much as anything supports you being in the championship if you had to be there. Is that something also that is that is down to if you like having the stability uh, and the throughput of players coming through the academy yeah that helps that helps tremendously yeah of course that's a that's a big factor you know as I said Les Les and Ronnie and Colin McGowan these guys are these guys are avid big fans of you know staying in the Premier League it's important to stay in the Premier League but I, but I know if, if you know there may be a time we do go down if we go down the, the ethos stays the same Bill the ethos stays the same we try and get players into the first team and we go and fight our way back up to try and get ourselves back in uh, in the championship, it may actually be that we play more younger players and beat them, but they go and try and get that that chance in the Premiership. But you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you've got to have a bit of luck as well, Bill. You've got to have a bit of luck as well involved in it. But the ethos of the club is, you know, we we, we go and compete the best we can. Whether it be 11s, 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s, 16s and 17s, whatever age group we play, we always try and go and compete, Bill. George, one of the things you have to do, obviously, is and, and, and managers change at clubs, maybe not as often as they do at other clubs at Hamilton, but they do change at clubs. So I'm guessing it's important that because you have an academy in place which has a very structured, if you like, aim, a very structured way of doing things and is highly successful, it's important that any manager that comes in buys into the ethos of the academy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that that's one of the most important things, Bill. Your manager has your manager has to buy into your academy. Your manager has to be part of that academy, Bill. And we've been quite lucky with the managers that we've had way back to, 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 to Billy Reid. Uh, it goes on to you know Alex Neal was Alex Neal was our under seventeens coach at one point. Yeah. 
Uh, Martin Cannon was also, I worked with Martin at under-17s level, uh, coaching when I run the academy. Martin was obviously a manager for four seasons as well. These guys have got to buy in it. Uh, Brian Rice is the same. Brian buys into the academy. Brian, Brian spends a lot of time with the academy kids in the afternoons as well. Brian's a big fan of the academy, you know. Loves kids, loves being the academy. It's, the stats show that Brian's, Brian's quite willing to go and find a young kid in and give him a chance. Uh, he certainly gave a few of them their debuts anyway, so... You know the manager has to. The manager has to buy into that. I, I remember going back a few seasons, George, and I think we spoke then. And you know there was there was guys in the the team that were like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, who had a hundred odd games under their belts, uh, and and that in itself is is quite unusual in Premiership football in Scotland. But at the same time. It does develop these players and, and makes them a, a commodity as much as anything. And I know that sounds a wee bit mercenary, but for a club like Hamilton, it is it is something that you need to consider very carefully that these assets will will kind of give you a return at some point potentially. Oh, of course, of course, that's a that's a huge thing for the club. You know, it's a it's a huge. There's, there's, there's nothing. Listen, there's nothing more. Uh, exciting in terms of one of your players being sold and going and playing for another club and, and doing well at another club. You know, we, we use Mikey Devlin doing well. He obviously got a couple of caps for Scotland there. Mikey was a big part of our academy. You know, under 16s, he was released at Celtic. We took him in, and, and Michael was a fantastic, fantastic player. And he's went on to do really well. Eamon Brophy's another one. Lewis Ferguson's another one. You know, as I said, Ali Crawford is doing really well as well. Now, saying for Bolton, doing there working hard and and reaping the rewards as well. There's nothing better than picking up a paper and, and looking at an ex-manager or even an ex-player has scored a goal or a player that's actually been with you and scored a goal. Or, you know, and, that, and that goes right through to junior level. Something I, I still keep in contact with kids Bill, that play junior football uh, and they'll score the goal here and there. And, and, and the, the, the important part is, you know, they'll all find a level, Bill. They'll all find a level to go and play. But uh, that is important to Hamilton. Of course it is. George, when, when you're looking for, for young players to bring to the club, what are the what are the, the the Hamilton values? What are you looking for? What are you what are you on the, the lookout for in a young player that you say that's a potential Hamilton player? We always sign a player on potential. You're always signing a player on potential. You know, and, and, and the thing in this country is, you know, and I'll laugh at this, but you'll you'll laugh. You know, you you maybe bring a player in at an under 14s level, and the coach will say, "Well, he's not as good as what we've got." You know, he's not. You know, you've got to give kids a chance. Yeah. You've got to give them a chance. You've got to, you know, bring a kid into your your environment. You know, you bring them into a strange environment and you're asking them to go and play with players that's been maybe part of your academy uh, for five or six years, you know, and it's tough sometimes. It's really tough. But we look for, you know, I, I want the kids to come to train and enjoy it, Bill. That's what I look for. I look for kids' smell. I look for the smells. The, the results aren't important, Bill. They aren't important. They say, you know, people say, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's great to go and win your games and different things, but results can't be the be all and end all. What you've got to try and take out is, is, is I always speak to my coaches, always, listen, there must be a positive in the game somewhere. If you've not done well in the game, look for the positive. Always try and finish on the positive because there's a lot of great talent, not only at Hamilton, but I see a lot of great talented young footballers at all different sorts of academies that I play every week. There's some really good talent out there. And if we just if we just give it a chance, you know, if we give the you know the performance skills, everything that we're putting in place, you know, a plan that was put in there for, for, for 10, give it a chance. Give it a chance and see if we can change it, you know. That's all we can do, but, you know, it's only my opinion, Sam. When I look at players, I see a lot of great talent out there, but a lot of great talent. George, one of the things that must frustrate you, but not so much at Hamilton because young players do get a chance, you're talking about other teams and other teams that you come across and other players that you come across when you're playing those teams. It must be hugely frustrating for you to see a talent 
at a particular club, for example, and, and know that that kid may not see the light of day of first time first team football at that club, uh, and then we turn around and say we're not producing the kids. Is it a question of we're not producing them, or is it a question of that we're not at all clubs giving them the opportunities? I would probably say we're producing the kids. There's kids there. There's kids there. In my opinion, there's kids there. There's, there's, there's other guys that directors of youth will tell you the same. I think they're just got to be given a chance. These kids have got to be put in the environment to be given a chance. They make mistakes. They'll make mistakes. Of course they'll make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But you've got to give them a chance. And it's how that kid uh, bounces back from the mistake. If I use, I can use Jamie Hamilton as an example. Jamie's played for Scotland tonight against Germany. Uh, he's playing under 19s tonight. Jamie's a, a fantastic talent. A fantastic talent. Uh, he's playing in a couple of games for Scotland already. He's actually playing a year above himself, playing at the 19s. Uh, he also plays for the 18s. I always look for Jamie. I look at Jamie quite a lot. Jamie has that bounce back. You know, he made a mistake in the first game against Belarus, uh, which I watched, which was fine. And I speak to Jamie after it. You know, what you, I just go home at George. I've just got to go and play the next game. He plays the next game, uh, scores the second goal for Scotland, and he's put it behind him. You know, some kids will be able to go and do that, Bill. Other kids. You need to obviously work with them harder to be able to go and do that. The kids will make a mistake, but what they've got to get, they've got to give them a chance. They must be given a chance. You've got to give them a chance. And I know, you know, we look at maybe we're different at Hamilton where our managers, you know, you, you, you know what Bonnie and, and, and people that are like, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're avid fans of keeping their managers and giving them a chance and they'll make mistakes and it can't be about results all the time. As long as you're getting the kids and you're doing the right things, then they'll, they'll, they'll give you a chance that way. I know all football clubs don't work that way, Bill. I know all football clubs and there's pressure on managers to go and win games and you know, get the points and go and win the leagues and these different things. And sometimes that's to the detriment of the young kids. But, uh, you know, we... we I think we've lost. Oh no, we got. We're still there, George. George, I think he's gone through a, a wee bit of a black spot there. We'll see if we can get him back in just a wee minute. Uh, and he's only to wait till Lennox time because uh, the under 14 that are playing Celtic. Uh, we'll try and get George back, and we'll have a wee chin bag with him in, in just a minute, and hopefully we will get him back. Um, here on Rock Sport, uh, George Cairns, Academy Director at Hamilton, uh, talking to us there about you know various things in the way that that uh, Hamilton developed their young players very successfully. It has to be said, very successfully indeed. Uh, and so you know, it, it it does come down. People turn around and say we're not creating and we're not producing. Uh, particular players and we're not doing this and we're not doing that uh, I don't think that's the case, I think we are producing them but sometimes there's that much pressure on a, a manager that you don't get the chance and you, you're not given the chance to to if you like uh give them the opportunity because there's so much pressure on you to win. But it's kind of strange because if you look at Hamilton, of course, the pressure is on them to stay in the Premier League and managers like Chipper, like Brian Rice and, and, and Martin Canning particularly have always given uh, these young players the opportunity to shine and to come through and, and make the best of the opportunities that they get. If you've got any comments on young players in academy football and you want to give us a call, you can do it. It's uh, 0333 uh, if you've got any comments on that, because all too often I get into conversations and I hear people say, oh, we don't bring enough young players through. That, that isn't the case. We do bring young players through. What we don't do is give them the chance at all levels uh, to shine and to come through. Uh, and from that point of view, that's something that I think maybe we are at fault at. But 
are we any different from any other country when it comes to that kind of thing? I'm not sure that we are. I think that uh, there's pressure on the top clubs always because of the expectation level of the fans for them. Uh, the other clubs, well, they get the opportunity, they're given the opportunity, they take the opportunity in a lot of occasions uh, to do that. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens as, as the game progresses and as young players progress. But generally, I think the lifeblood of the game has got to be young players. I, I think it's quite un- yeah, it's unusual. Uh, George, we've got you back. Sorry, mate, you hit a, yeah, a black spot. No, no, don't apologise. You're driving, it's fine. These things happen. Uh, what I was going to say is that, you know, when you look at, you were talking about players not getting a chance because managers have got pressure on them. To be fair... Yeah. Hamilton have got a lot of pressure on them season on season, limited budgets to stay in the Premiership. Yeah, Alec, Martin Canning particularly, and now Chipper, they give young players a chance. So even though you've got the pressure on you, you still have to be brave and you still have to believe in what you're doing. Uh, And as a club, Hamilton certainly do that. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. You're you're bang on it. you've You've got to be brave. Brave's the word brave's the word to use, you've got to be brave, you've got to go and do that and believe in your philosophy, believe in your academy, believe in the kids that you've been working with for a long time to give them a chance and if you can believe in them then you, you, you know, who knows, who knows your next two million, three million, four million pound player you may sell on and make go away and do well for yourself. Uh, but that's what you have to do. You've got to be brave, Bill. You have to be brave. George, right. I'm not asking you to be critical of individual clubs, so I'll give you the general model. How do you feel when clubs turn round and get rid of their academies and they start hoovering up players that have been let go from other clubs elsewhere, either north or south of the border? Is that short-sighted in your view? Is it something where you really do need to speculate to accumulate? It's sad, it's sad, because I, I always look at the kids' point of view, Bill, I always look at kids, we, you know, when an academy shuts down, you're looking at 125 kids putting the, not so much the scrap beat, but they're put up there for, for guys to go and fight over, go and get this one, this one, and that one, and, and as I said, start way back, say, some of them might not even go back to football, Bill, so it saddens me, it saddens me, but you know what, all, all clubs are different, all clubs are different in how they go or conduct their business, you know, but for me, you know, we, we, we invest heavily in our academy, as I said, you know, we've got, uh, you know, 25 coaches at youth level, we've got all the videos, you've got everything you need to go and, go and run your academy. There's a lot of expenditure there to go and do that, but it's a thing we believe in uh, strongly. Uh, and as I said, as a club whole, everybody at the football club believes in that philosophy. And, you know, it's paid dividends for ourselves. We have been successful, Bill. Uh, there's been times where, you know, it's, we dip a form here or there, you know, but we've been very successful and uh, trying to get as many players through as possible. And that's, as I said, that's the bit we try and do, is is how many players can we put players through when we sign a player as a potential for him. You know, it's there for them, it's there for to see. And, and sometimes it comes down to a bit of luck, as I said, and hard work from the kids and hard work for the coach, the coach to go and believe and fling him in when he's made a mistake. You know, because kids don't make mistakes. And that's the hard part. Can we just stick by them and, and give them a chance? George, a chance. it is a heavy investment for a club financially. Uh, and, you know, the fact that that Hamilton probably don't have the same financial resources as a lot of clubs in the Premiership. The fact that you stick with it does show the belief that you have in it. But surely even a club like Hamilton wouldn't have stuck with it if it, it doesn't bring you financial rewards along the way as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, financial rewards are, are obviously great. They come along, but you know, there's nothing better than, than sitting at a stadium, uh, your home stadium, watching one of your kids make a debut. Uh, for the first team, and that, and that goes for, for, for Ronnie 
Llewellyn, for Les and for Colin McGowan. But these guys can actually sit there and say, there's another kid we've brought through. There's another kid we've helped go and make a career. There's another kid. And that's the way we look at it. You know, we look at it that way. You know, we don't have millions upon millions to go and buy every bit of equipment and buy it. And, you know, we don't have that at our club. But what we try and do is, you know, what we try and do is we do our best. We do our best with what we've got. And uh, as I said, everybody plays part of that, which helps. Everybody buys into that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a team game. And of course, what you do is you test yourself at the highest level, and that 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 couldn't be much higher than uh, the UEFA Youth League, uh, and you've done extremely well in that. We did, we did very well in that. You know what? I, I keep uh, I've got the goal on my phone. When we, the second goal was scored against Ball in front of three and a half thousand fans, and it still gives me goosebumps when I watch it. <laughs> you know, I can't believe the ball player actually lost the ball in the middle of the park. I don't know what he's doing at the time, ball, but we take the ball and we score the last minute of the game, and it still gives you goosebumps. You think about that young squad as well. I mean, that young squad went through a full season at under 18s football and never lost a game. They never lost a game. They were incredible, you know. And some of those kids are up in their first team environment. Uh, some of the kids are still part of that squad trying to go and achieve that again. You know, in a small club like Hamilton, to be able to go and play European football was a, a huge factor, a fantastic factor for the club. And as I said, that was the, the night when 3,500 people came to watch that game, which was terrific. That's outstanding, it really is, George. George, one of the things that, that I was going to ask you is, um, I know that costs very rarely diminish in these situations, but do, do academies become more sustainable as you grow the model and the model becomes more, if you like, established? When we first started way back, as I said, 13 years ago, you could have asked anyone in the Hamilton area, what do you, what do you know about Hamilton Aki's Football Club? Uh, you know, only your local fans would know a bit about you. But I knew, and I've often said, if you stop 10 people in the street in Hamilton and ask them, what do you know about Hamilton Aki's Football Club? I would guarantee eight of those would say, get a fantastic youth system. Yeah. Get a fantastic youth system. Because we've worked hard to promote that youth system uh, for people to actually say, when they see Hamilton, Oh, they've got a good youth system. They've got a fantastic youth system. Or they give kids a chance. And that's that's our brand, Bill. And to be honest with you, you know, five, maybe five, six years ago, we, we lost players to Celtic or Rangers. Rangers or Celtic would come in and buy your, 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 your better players, Bill. And, you know, these kids would go on and, and go and try and achieve something at Celtic and Rangers, which for me, Bill, I've, I've, I've still to see a kid do that that's left us. But, you know, six years ago was the last time we lost a player, which tells us that our model works. You know, the kids stick by what they're they're being taught and, and, and the hope of them getting the first team football, you know, and that's 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 what it's about. And you know, and even young kids, but when you sign a young kid at under elevens, you're not you're you're not telling them, you know, you're gonna go and play for the first team. Looking for them to get to the under twelves, but under twelves to thirteens, thirteens to fourteens, fourteens to fifteens, sixteens, and then hopefully a full time contract at under sixteen to seventeens. You're just basically trying to go step by step can you take them through in the hope that you can get as many through there as possible. George, one of the most gratifying things must be for you as Academy Director at Hamilton, the fact that, that even fans from other teams respect the model that you've got at Hamilton. I'll give you an example. Liam Telfer's a, a jambo, and he says, have to give it to Hamilton. This is on Twitter. Have to give it to Hamilton. They practice what they preach and actually give youngsters a chance, unlike other teams that say they do, but really don't. Hips and hearts, blood youngsters, but only in dribs and drabs. But when was the last time any old firm team did so you know that's that's not just a one-off we get things like that on a regular basis from fans of other teams and it must be great for you as academy director that nine times out of ten the team that they hold up is doing it right is Hamilton Ackies 
Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. You know, it's fantastic. Of course it is. It's great. You know, we've, we've worked really hard to, 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 to achieve that. You know, and, and it's great when other, when other clubs say that to you. There's nothing better than other people praising uh, the good work that you do. Uh, there's nothing better than picking up a paper and seeing one of your, your ex-players that's played with you telling you how the academy, what his best coach was and different things. You know, there's nothing better than that. Uh, other teams complimenting what you actually do. That's, that, that's, that, that's a great thing that comes with it. But the, the one or two that compliment you also have the one or two that maybe think, mm, they're not as good as what they, they, they say or what they do, but we do. And that's the thing is, and I know a lot of people say, oh, we do, but it's on the tin, you know, and that, you'll hear that saying, I hear that saying a lot, you know, and I've sat in many meetings and listened to guys say, oh, that's what we're doing, you know, but do they really do that, Bill? Mm, do yeah. they really play their players in the first team? Do they do that? You know, I know we do because we have enough stats and the stats shows you again today that, you know, we play enough 21s and 23-year-olds and most of these kids have been eight or nine years, Bill. They've been here a long time and they're playing regular first team football, which is fantastic for us. And it can all be fantastic for us as well as, as the country, and you're hoping that these guys can go on and play for the country and represent the country and hope that we can achieve to uh, strive to go and play in a major championship sometime soon. George, good luck for tonight against Celtic with the under-14s. Uh, Pleasure having you on. Give my regards to uh, Ronnie, Les, Chipper and Colin, and thank you again. Keep up the good work at Hamilton Ackies. Thank you, Bill. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, George Cairns, our Academy Director at Hamilton Ackies, talking to us about the Academy system there, which is held up and revered by many, many clubs and many, many teams. It's not an easy thing to do to build an Academy, and especially a successful one like the Hamilton one, but they have done it with great aplomb uh, and continue to do it. And I think the great thing that speaks volumes about Ackies as a club is the fact that it isn't a cheap thing to do, but they've stuck with it for the last 13 years and they're still producing great players that are moving on to other clubs uh, and making a name for themselves. Uh, next, we're going to be talking to another George, but it's George Fraser talking about the Lowland League on Talking Football tonight. Uh, thanks for joining me. Stay with me until 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, still to come, Charlie Richmond on racism and waterlogged parks. And Chris Marshall talks about uh, cup football in the women's game. That's all to come before 8 o'clock tonight. Have you ever lost money on an investment? If a high street bank persuaded you to buy a stocks and shares ISA, unit trust or investment bond and you lost money, Goodwin Barrett may be able to help you get back thousands of pounds in compensation. We've already helped thousands of people just like you claim back millions of pounds. Even if you don't have the investment anymore or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett make it easy to find out. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. At Motorpoint, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low-mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning-fast service and same-day drive-away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from Junction 3 of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. Love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. 
Okay, okay. if you listen to the programme regularly, you will know that we are the official media partner of the Lowland League and have been champions of the Lowland League for, well, probably since just as it started. Uh, back in the old days when Ian King used to do the Lowland League lowdown for us. Uh, George Fraser is uh, with us tonight to talk about the Lowland League and to talk about results at the weekend and how things are shaping up. Uh, Mr Fraser, how are you? Very well, Bill. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good, George. Uh, and even better now that we're, we're starting to see some... Um, and I know this is a horrible thing to say, but we're actually starting to see some change in the Lowland League, uh, where certain teams that you thought were going to run away with things haven't quite done it this season. It's, it's been quite an interesting start to the season, hasn't it? It's been fantastic, Bill, to be honest with you. And I think... Yeah. You know, a few people predicted uh, at the start of the season that it was probably going to be the most competitive league in Scotland this year. Uh, and I think it's not far away from living up to that billing so far. You know, you've got a few teams that are really, you know, vying for, for top spot. And, you know, it's, it's it's quite unpredictable in terms of results. You know, you get the feeling every week that any team could uh, beat any other team in any given day. So it makes it quite uh, quite exciting and unpredictable. George, does it does it... As things go on, do you feel more and more vindicated about the pyramid system and the Lowland League in particular? Absolutely, Bill. Absolutely. I think we've shown in terms of quality, uh, the, you know, in terms of the, the players we're attracting to the Lowland League now, that uh, we could compete quite, quite successfully, not saying easily, uh, at Division at Division Two level. And I think, you know, we'll be pushing even harder now. Teams will be pushing even harder now for for automatic promotion into into the SPFL. So I think overall, I think, you know, the quality has risen uh, immeasurably over the last couple of seasons. And, you know, we're still, you know, we've got eight teams still in the Scottish Cup, for instance, you know, so things are going really well. George, how important is it for the Lowland League as a, an organisation and part of Scottish football to be in the Scottish Cup proper and have so many teams in there at the moment? I think I think it's important on a couple of levels, Bill. Uh, firstly, you know, in terms of finance uh, for for the clubs in the Lowland League, you know, uh, obviously the further the further you go, the more uh, prize money you're entitled to. Uh, but I also think it's important for you know uh, coverage and publicity. Uh, for clubs trying to gain a sponsor, for instance, you know, they get an exposure in the Scottish Cup. You just need to go back two or three seasons when East Kilbride, you know, drew Celtic. Uh, I think, you know, a run like that and, you know, a tie like that, although it's very difficult to get to that stage, you know, could could set any club up in the Lowland League for a number of years. So I think, you know, in terms of finance and publicity, uh, and just the overall business of the club, I think it's it's, it's very important. George, and it's a break away from you know the everyday, you know the every week uh, league games. Yeah, George. As far as the league goes, we've seen how successful it's been, uh, and we've seen now uh, clubs that go in from the Highland League and the Lowland League can compete and they can hold their own uh, and do more yep. than that on certain occasions. Yep. Let me ask you this. Does, has that helped yep. commercially for the Lowland League? Because being funded in football is always a bugbear. It's the bane of any club's life. 
but you really need to be able to look at the bigger picture in your position as well because the clubs will look after themselves commercially but there is still an onus on you uh, as the, yeah. the, 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 the guardians of the Lowland League to deliver commercially. Is it becoming any easier? And if not, why do you think not, considering how competitive it is uh, and the coverage it now yeah. gets? In all honesty, but I mean, it is still it is still difficult. I mean, we are currently now uh, without a sponsor uh, for the load the actual league itself, which you know, given the coverage and given the publicity as you say it's had, you know, it's quite incredible. However, what is quite clear uh, when talking to potential sponsors, and we have over the last few months uh, and been close to, to to deals, what's quite clear is. Some firms and some companies in the business world just don't have the money to, to, to put, put into sponsorship now, Bill. Uh, you know, and, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to find the com- a company uh, who has the ready available free cash, if you like, you know, to to, to throw into uh, uh, what's essentially a, a leisure industry. So it is very, very difficult. You know, won't stop us trying and, and, and having a look. But what we what, what I don't want to do is devalue the product by taking you know uh, uh, an offer that's you know probably way below market value. And yeah. I, know, I know that sounds ungrateful, and it probably sounds you know picky. However, you know if we want to push it on, we've got to have that market value, and we've got to have position ourselves uh, where we can really kick on in future years and you know build on the sponsorship year on year. I think you're absolutely right, George. I think if you start devaluing um, a league as the league yep. grows, you're starting from a, a you know a, a kind of retarded position anyway. In as much as you're you're playing catch up, and you're never going to play catch up. Um, it's no. got to be a progressive growth, and it's got to be something which reflects the growth of the league as much as anything else. The competitive of the competitiveness of the league, and the the way that the yep. league becomes more and more integrated, and I don't mean into the SPFL, but in terms of the media landscape in in Scotland as much yep. as anything else. Let me ask you this. Uh, when when uh-huh. you when you look at sponsors and there's a great deal of debate about this, so I'd be I'd be yeah. grateful for for your take on it for the Lowland League, mm-hmm. uh, and it's probably the elephant in the room, and that is ethical sponsorship. Yeah. You know, a lot of people come yeah. on here, and I speak to Paul Goodwin from the SFSA and people like that about gambling companies yeah. uh, sponsoring uh-huh. and things like that. For me, I don't see any issue because it's going to go somewhere. It's it's like somebody being a a criminal defence lawyer if. If they don't, de- if they don't defend the person, no matter how heinous the crime is, someone else will. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely, Bill. I, I think I think you're right. You know, I, I mean, you, you'd have to take every offer uh, at face value and have a look into you know what the particular company was looking for in terms of a return for their money. Uh, you know, I mean, we're not really in a position at the moment to to turn down offers or not even, you know, give offers consideration. Uh, so I think, you know, it is a big it's a, it's a big topic at the moment, you know, but you look at the main cut, the William Hill Scottish Cup, for instance, you know, Ladbrokes have been involved, uh, Betfair have been involved. You know, it's, it's it seems to be football sponsorship, especially in Scotland, is dominated by the gambling firms. And that says to me, those are the ones with the spare cash and the spare uh, money to put in to, to sponsorship. Uh, you look at other areas of commerce and business, and, it, and it's, it's there's not a lot readily available. So 
So I think it's something you know that sporting organisations and clubs are going to have to maybe maybe rethink about uh, going, going further down the line. You know, but as you see, every offer would, would be taken at face value, and you know a decision has been made on that. George, just looking ahead to the the Scottish Cup, and uh, I'm just looking at a couple of uh, prime, if you like. Uh, ties and of course the one that stands out automatically this Saturday uh, is Auchinleck Talbot against Cove Rangers that's going to be a rip snorter surely that will be a cracker Bill, Uh, I think I'm seeing Auchinleck and Cove last year uh, with Auchinleck Auchinleck actually going up to Cove and winning Uh, you know and you just look at Auchinleck's track record I mean they put Air United out last season so And saying that Cove have had a flying start to the season and they've really adapted to life and and, and League Two really well. Uh, So it'll be an absolute cracker. And I think it may have been the Friday night live TV game had uh, there's been floodlights in operation at Auchinleck. But, you know, um, I think that, you know, put pay to that one because it's certainly probably the tie around. Well, speaking speaking about that, and I was going to come to this mm. next because obviously it's one of your own members. Uh, Bonnie yep. Rig uh, Rose are against uh, uh, Bucky Thistle Bucky on, on Friday night, and that'll be a good tie as well. But here's the thing you and I spoke about it, and at the time we did speak about it earlier on, we weren't sure whether yep. Bonnie Rig were going to get in. They have got mm-hmm. in, and have been an absolute yep. revelation. Oh, they've been absolutely fantastic for the league. And, you know, they've hit the ground running. Uh, and, you know, this is all in, in, in the face of a substantial financial outlay and to get the floodlights in, you know, in a quick time. So, you know, to do that, you know, given, you know, what you would maybe call adversity towards the end of last season, has been absolutely fantastic. And they've been a real addition to the league in terms of quality. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. You know, you just need to look at their league position. So they've been absolutely fantastic for the league, and you know, they're one of the teams that's up there vying for 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 top spot. And this is one of those good old-fashioned Lowland League, Highland League ties as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, we always like to get one over Highland League. I don't know if any secret about that. Uh, I think the Lowland League, or you know, just want to to win, and we did really well last season. Uh, I think as it stands at the moment, if I'm right in saying, you know, there's eight from the Lowland League left in and possibly eight from the Highland League left in. So something will change after the weekend, obviously. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good for the pyramid overall that, you know, we've got these teams in there fighting away. But yeah, I obviously want to see the Lowland League teams triumph. Uh, you know, that that will be... That, that'll be something to, to crow about again this season. George, another another tie that I'm looking at as well, Lockheed United against your own BSC Glasgow. Yeah, uh, that'll be fair. That's a real, a real difficult one. You know, I mean, Lockheed, uh, a great name uh, in the juniors and, you know, we're away from home and I'm sure we'll have a, a very vocal support uh, up in Dundee. So it's one we're really looking forward to, Bill. Uh, it's it's going to be a real real tough tie, you know. I, I think there won't be much in it. Let me put it that way. However, you know we're we're in there we're in their batting, so to speak. So I'm looking forward to the tie, and hopefully we we can prevail. And how are things generally at BSC at the moment? Really well, but we're doing we're doing okay at the moment. We're doing doing really well. You know, uh, we're sitting third in the league at the moment, uh, and things things are going good. Uh, yes, touch wood. 
But uh, yeah, listen, it's, it's, yeah, we're up there, we're up there, uh, fighting it, fighting away, you know, and, and and amongst some some other teams, you know. But yeah, we've been on a good one of form recently, uh, and you know, we've uh, picked up a few good results. We went away to Bonnyrigg and, and won three one. Uh, so you know that was that was that was pleasing. But you know, in general, we're on a good we're on a good run. But you know, the old cliche in football, but it's one game at a time. <laughs> George, one of the things, obviously, with the Lowland League is that, that, that a lot of teams, in fact, most teams can't run with huge pools of players. So when it starts to get to this time of year uh, and you're heading towards, you know, the, the, the Christmas period and the yeah. uh, the New Year period, that's when the strain really starts to show on, on some Lowland League teams, isn't it? Because of the, the strength and depth, you know, injuries come, family commitments come, things like that. There's all sorts of different things that can put pressure uh, on you as a club. Absolutely, Bill. I mean, what people forget as well, I mean, you know, 99% of these boys are working as well in yeah. full-time jobs. You know, I mean, it's, it's a case of, you know, we're asking we're asking a lot of people uh, to, to turn out and play, and certainly credit to them all. Uh, but you know, you're right. You know, we don't run with, with big pools. You know, people that have got other commitments, like family, jobs, etc. So it does get to a stage in the season where every club looks and goes, yeah, you know, this is going to be a tough period for us. You know, uh, so I, it's tough to manage, and you know, I take my heart off to, to all the managers no one like who manage to get around it. But it's not easy, you know. And you, all you need to do is pick up a pick up a few injuries. I mean, we we I mean, I think most clubs uh, take players on loan from from senior clubs uh, during the season. We've just taken a boy uh, uh, Jordan Northcroft on loan from St Johnson this week. Uh, so that helps with, with squad size, etc. And you know, the, the SPFL clubs and the SPL clubs are really good uh, at doing that sort of thing. It gives exposure for the younger players, you know, and, and lets them get a bit of experience playing, uh, you know, men's football, if you like. Uh, so that that's a system that can be utilised, Bill, to, to help clubs out, you know. But it, yeah, in general, it is, it is difficult, Bill, you know, especially if you've got any away games, you know. I mean, for instance, BSC was getting an away game down in Berwick on a Tuesday night in November. Yeah. And that's that's a difficult one, you know. You need to get boys off their work, etc. So, yeah, overall, it, it can be tricky to manage. George, one of the other things over the years is we've we've looked upward and northward yeah. uh, to the Highland League, and we've spoken about the amount of money that Highland League teams put into to yeah. football, and, and not all of them, but there's there's some powerhouses there. Are we starting yeah. to see a few of those now developing in the Lowland League? Because there does seem to be teams who are very well resourced, let's say, uh, now in the Lowland yeah. League. So is there is there a degree of parity coming in terms of Lowland League, Highland League spends? But does that then in itself throw up the, the old problem of the haves and the have-nots and making leagues become semi-predictable? Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there, 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 there's you know a, a few teams in the Lowland League who you know uh, have have been you know uh, strengthened well this season and the close season. You know that they've been able to go out and buy some top track high up as the championship though. You know, uh, which you know is incredible to think. You know, given that we only started as a league uh, six years ago, uh, that we're attacking that sort of calibre player to the league. 
yeah, I mean, I think that obviously it's, you know, the better players you have, you know, the, the better he's going to do, Bill. And that's, that's not rocket science. Uh, and I think you're right. That, you know, it could come to a stage where, you know, uh, later in the season you see quite a significant gap between certain teams. You know, you know. But that, in, George, that in itself yeah. reflects that in itself reflects football generally. Uh, all over yeah, the world. It happens at all levels. It happens at all levels, Bill. That's correct. You know, you, you can see it. You know, I think there comes a point in the season where you see a split in every league. You know, and you, is it, whether it be the top six, top seven, or or whatever in every league, uh, sometimes low, uh, you know, top four. You can see that happening all over the place, and it, it, it does. You know, you can see it starting in the low in league uh, this season. You just need to look at the table. Uh, you know that. You know the, the results don't lie. So yeah, I think there, there is an element of that, you know. Uh, but I think again, it's a reflection on uh, people seeing an opportunity with rolling league teams to invest in them, with perhaps a chance of getting into to senior football. Bill, you know, and I think people are now beginning to think that's actually a route, you know. And I'm not saying it's like this, but you know, you look what Brooks Mileson did many years ago with Gretna, Bill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying it's anything similar to that. However, you know, people maybe see, well, listen, maybe we could, you know, get a team into to, into the SPFL. You know, uh, so that's maybe behind some people's uh, thoughts, you know, and, and, and their ambitions. George, I won't ask you directly, but I will ask you indirectly. What's the future mm-hmm. of the pyramid? I mean, where, where do you see it going, and how will it develop? How will it evolve? Will it evolve? Yeah, I think we're very keen for it to evolve. It's talked always ongoing, Bill, uh, about, you know, what direction we could take it in, uh, you know, and whether that involves junior teams, whether it involves, you know, creating, you know, uh, a different format, if you like. I think it will evolve. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, Bill, to be honest. Uh, You know, but what I wouldn't like to see is we're talking about this again in, like, you know, five years' time, for instance. I think it's got to happen sooner or later because there's teams pushing up from, from below. You know, I mean, below the Lowland League, they have East of Scotland League, it's got 39 teams in it or so. You know, I mean, they're all pushing to get into the Lowland League, Bill. So, again, you know, it's like a pressure building. You know, something's got to give it sooner or later. And, you know, my main aim is I would love automatic promotion from the Lowland League into the SPFL. Uh, but there's a pressure building from below us. You know, of course, we're applying the pressure George, the the problem though, the problem with the pressure from below is that it's not consistent and it's not unanimous. Uh, And that in itself surely is going to slow down the the development of any decisions and and how it goes and where it goes. And then possibly even fragment more Scottish football. At some point, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think it has to happen that there has to be a consensus where everyone yeah. thinks, right, this is what we're going to do. And it may well yeah. be that you have to transition that consensus over a five-year period rather than talk about it over a five-year period, actually implement it over a five-year period. But th- there are so many different agendas at different levels. Yeah. It must be a hell of a job trying to sort this out. Oh, it's, it's a massive job, Bill. There's that many different organisations involved. Uh, you know, uh, Everybody's wanting their own what's best for their own organisation. And I fully understand that. That, that. You know, I don't have an issue with that. However, you have to look, you know, I think we all have to look at the bigger picture and trying to get what's best for overall for the Scottish game. You know, I mean, there's got to be something, something's got to happen to improve things. 
Now, listen, if we can do a very, very small bit at our low level to help further up, absolutely great. However, I think you know overall we need to you know move forward uh, in a way that's uh, conducive to, to to a pyramid that works for everyone. At this moment in time, it's, it's just a bit of everybody seems to be wanting to look after their own part and you know perhaps not look after the whole. And I think it's coming to a point where you know somebody's going to have to step in and say. No, listen. This is what's going to happen. We need. This is how we need to shape it, and this is what we need to do to to get there. So yeah, there'll be a bit more talk about it. Uh, I think you know something will give eventually, Bill. Uh, it's just how 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 long it takes and how we get there. What's your general feeling about Scottish football at the moment, George? Uh, are we in a good place? Are we are we on schedule? Or, you know, obviously fans will look at their own clubs. They will look at the national team. They will look at yeah. various things, uh, and they'll have different views on it. But what as part of Scottish football and the part yeah. which is now starting to feed uh, the other parts of Scottish football? Yeah. What's your, what's your view on the state of the game in Scotland at the moment? Yeah, listen. I mean, given given recent uh, games for for the national team, Bill, it, it's probably not great. I think we could be in a stronger position. There's no doubt about it. You know, I, I just think there's too many, too many different organisations, perhaps, Bill. Too many. I think we could unite more as, as a as a as a country in terms of organisations involved. <laughs> I think things could be a lot better. You know yeah. my feelings on that, George. Absolutely, I know, Bill. I know, I know. Uh, and that's, that's I'm trying to avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, listen, I, I think it could be a lot better, Bill. There's no doubt about it. You know, uh, we need... And, and I'm not sure anybody has a radical master plan to change it. You know, people keep saying... Well, does well, it have we'll to... I mean, I, I actually thought... I, th- I thought we had to be radical at one point, but do we? Is evolution the answer rather than revolution? I I think so, Bill. You know, I mean, I I think it's almost a case of going back to the drawing board and accepting that. I mean, I know we've not qualified since 1998 for a major tournament. However, I think, and we've been back to the drawing board a couple of times now, but now's the time to say, listen, we're going to maybe have to accept mediocrity again. For another few years, uh, and allow allow things to, things to evolve. You know, we've got some cracking younger players. I mean, I'm I'm standing outside for Hill just now, going to watch Scotland under 19s uh, against Germany. Uh, and they're doing they're doing really well. The under 21s are doing really well. Uh, so there is talent there, though. But for some reason, it's not translating into the the national team. You know, well, I was speaking I to I was speaking great. I was speaking to George Cairns, academy director at Hamilton, who particularly yeah. are great yeah. at developing young players. And I was saying, yeah. is it the fact that we're not developing young players, or is it the fact that we're developing them at certain clubs where they are getting an opportunity, and other clubs where they're yeah. not? I think so, Bill. I mean, you know, we have we have got some cracking players. There's no doubt about that. You know, I mean, even if you go down to the Premiership, you get Billy Gilmore, etc. You know, who played for the under twenty ones the other night, and perhaps you know, I, I heard the argument on, you know, I heard several arguments about no, he's not ready for the national team. You know, but come on, but we're playing San Marino, Bill. I mean, yeah. with the best respect, all respect, you know, 
Simon, you know, the worst team in, in, in world football. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's ever going to get a chance to play, just put him in. You know, and, and no disrespect to like your Charlie Mulgrews, etc. But is that really the future, Bill? I mean, well, no, that, that's something we discussed sure. the other night. We look at players now, yeah. uh, and as much as we might put them into the squad and then put them into the team, you've got to ask what are they, what age are they going to be, and what are they going to be doing in four years' time? So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that we need to look at. George, there's one final thing I want to ask you because you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, it was something that I wasn't necessarily in favour of at one point, but I had my mm-hmm. view changed by Mr Graham, yep. uh, who kept <laughs> banging on and banging on about it. And, and the more I think about it, the more that I do think it is a natural progression and should happen. But I'm just wondering whether it will and, mm-hmm. you know, how close it might be. And that is automatic promotion from the Lowland League. Yeah, listen, but we, we constantly, we constantly, the, the problem we have is the Lowland League. It's a member's decision in the SPFL. We would need 42 teams to vote for it. Now, if you're in Division 2 and you're in the bottom half of Division 2, the old saying, Bill, turkeys aren't going to vote for Christmas, yeah. you know? Uh, so it's a really difficult one uh, to, to to push through, you know? Uh, so... I'm, I'm ever hopeful. We are always uh, speaking to the SPFL about it, uh, and we'll keep on pushing it. No, but no, you know what? Bill, the more teams that drop out of the SPFL, for instance, Berwick are now the second team to do it, uh, following East Stirlingshire. You know, are they going to say? A team's going to look at that and say, "Well, listen, actually, we need to make it easier to get back out of the loan league, back into to yeah, football." Yeah. So maybe automatic promotion is the way forward. So, you know, it may take a couple of seasons, Bill, but you're maybe looking at it might need another one or two teams to be relegated from from the SPFL into the Lone League or the Highland League, whatever it may be, for the rest of them to say, well, hang on a wee second, that's really difficult to get back out of there. Mm-hmm. So let's make it as easy as possible and have a go at getting back up. So I think that might you know, build pressure from within. All right, George. We'll, we'll keep on pushing anyway, Bill. All right, mate. Well, listen, enjoy the game tonight and let's hope it's a Hello, Scotland Ted, win. Uh, and thanks for being on with us as well and talking more about the Lowland League, which is going from strength yeah, to strength and it's a, 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 a real good thing to see the pyramid work in the way that it does. Uh, George Fraser, they are talking to us on Talking Football for this Tuesday night. Uh, Charlie Richmond will be up. He'll be talking racism. He'll be talking waterlogged pitches. Uh, and we'll do that in just a moment here on Talking Football from Rocksport. Scottish rugby is on the up and Rocksport Radio is following this resurgence by bringing you The Lineout. Every Wednesday evening from 8, Lewis Stewart has one of the best contact books in the business, which means the people who really matter in Scottish rugby give you the latest news and gossip on Scotland's most trusted rugby radio show. Get into the action with Lewis Stewart and The Lineout. Wednesdays from 8pm on Rocksport Sport Radio. Love music, live sport. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. 
Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. Do you hear that? That's your family coming round to your new house for Sunday lunch. Your son opening the door of his first home. Visitors arriving at your guest house. Friends coming over to watch the football. Scottish Building Society offer a range of mortgages, so we can turn this into this. Hello! Scottish Building Society. We've been helping people open doors since 1848. Call us today on 0345 600 4085. Scottish Building Society is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening. Tuesdays on Talking Football would not be complete without our man in the middle, the man in black. Our ex-referee at the highest level, Charlie Richmond. Mr Richmond, how are you? Oh, very well, very well indeed, Bill. Yourself? Uh, yes, I am, Charlie. I'm, I'm kind of uh, flying solo tonight for a number of different reasons. Uh, but I've, I've got a, a list of things I want to talk to you about and a, a list of things I want your views on, as we always do. Uh, starting last night... Uh, with the England game, obviously, against Bulgaria, uh, where we had that appalling situation where the referee had to stop the match on more than one occasion uh, because racist abuse was being uh, shouted at the black English players. Now, there is a protocol in place for this, although I didn't know it existed until last night. Uh, talk us through that, if you, you can, Charlie. Yeah, um... As soon as the referee's attention's been drawn to it, uh, and last night was specific because of the way the crowd went on with, can I say, the, the chanting and also the gestures. And it, sometimes it becomes difficult if you are not familiar with that language, as in the... the translation of it, but last night was so clear that the referee went through the protocol. Now, number one is that he stops the game and gets a state, gets the stadium announcer to make an announcement and that if it continues, the game will be stopped. And what the stadium announcer did that, and the second stage is to stop the game and say if it happens again, this game will be abandoned. And of course, they've done that as well. And at that stage, you've got to credit the local authorities in removing them from the ground. And then, if it did continue, then that match would have been abandoned. And that's the protocol that, for these types of uh, incidents, that the referee must go through. It's a case of it's not acceptable. We'll give you an opportunity to stop. If you're not going to stop, then we are going to abandon the game. And what would happen as well, Bill, is the UEFA delegate would make note of that. And everything is all electronic now. So see within 30 minutes of that game finishing, the email will be 
signed away with the contents from the UEFA delegate to UEFA, and UEFA would act on that straight away, and that's why you've, you've had the further of the announcements this morning as well. Charlie, let me ask you, this is a UEFA protocol. Um, although we have our individual associations governing locally uh, our own game, as it's a UEFA protocol, would that protocol be implemented and should it or could it be implemented uh, for any domestic game where this kind of behaviour was in play? There's nothing to say that the SFA should not adopt that uh, and go through that setup in regards to there. But again, and this is maybe where the fall down is, that the SFA have got the, the authority to deal with it in, in their so-called Because the game was under UEFA's banner, then it, it, UEFA's protocols, uh, instructions for referees, everything is the number one. And, and that might be where the, the national associations, uh, can I use the word, don't have to follow it by the letter. It's there as an advisory. Doesn't that in real terms then dilute the effectiveness of this protocol? Surely that in this day and age when we have these problems and they're not restricted to one individual country, they're quite wed widespread, uh, including here in Scotland and in England and various other places, isn't it time that, that, that football associations either through FIFA or UEFA sat down and acted as one on this Otherwise, what you've got is you've got it at one level, you've got a different thing at another level. Depending on the individual country and, and their thoughts on this, it can differ all over again. And that's when it starts to surely make a bit of a mockery of any protocol when there isn't a unification of it so that you've got consistency, that magic word that always seems to come in to football and especially yeah. when it's applied to referees. Yeah, uh, wholeheartedly agree with that, though. Yes, um, if they adopted. But again, you made a point about UEFA and FIFA. They've both got their difference. Uh, and I was listening to your, your last caller there about so many different organisations within the, the, the country dealing with certain things. And that's where it maybe becomes a wee bit more difficult. FIFA are the governing body, but it's UEFA's competition. And then it goes down to the SFA's competition, and they are effectively the governing body in that country. And that's where you may take your hat off to UEFA, who get the incident, they get all the facts from the UEFA delegate, from the referee observer, and they deal with it. And they are hand and fist dealt, and that's the punishment. They can appeal, but nine times out of ten, the appeal is not uh, worthy because everything is so factual and the issue fines because of it, the issue uh, even bans and of course you're now looking at uh, stadiums, parts of stadiums being closed because this is the way that they want to deal with it, hard and fast and, and maybe the shock tactics is maybe another way to think about it as well. Charlie, have you ever been involved in any incidents like this in terms of racism or stuff like that? No. Uh, can I say gladly no? Um, 
was it's something you're right to say, Bill, it was always there, but is it the right it's maybe just the last four or five years that it's starting to to, to raise its head again. Um I was never involved in, in anything um of of that where I had to stop a game and, and draw the attention to stuff um which uh, as, a, as a referee in, a, in another country, uh, it's, it's quite delightful that you're there to concentrate in the game rather than what's happening in the stadium. What would have happened if England had said, that's it, we're not playing under these conditions and walked off? Then the referee would have uh, abandoned the game. He would have put that in his report as well. And again, I'll go back to the electronic side of things. Um, when you left, when I left Scotland, I had a unique code, and I logged on to the, the the delegate's laptop, and you put in the code, and you and he would put that report in, and it would be pinged away, and all the evidence would be gathered, and then the the committee, the, the governing body, UEFA, would make a decision on that. And sometimes it's not being punished by doing the right thing. They would have took that all into consideration. As a referee, you, you've got to deal with the facts that the team has walked off, so therefore I have to abandon the game. And I think every sole person would agree with the team walking off, but you've got to put it down in paper and make that after-match report. Charlie, obviously, you know, the situation is that, that you can sh- close certain areas of the stadium, you could close the whole stadium so that the next game is behind closed doors. Is that really... I, I mean, have we, got, have we got punishment that now fits the crime? Or should we be looking at docking points from teams? Should we be looking at eliminating teams from competitions? Or does that, again, open up... Uh, another can of worms where fans from an opposing team could represent or portray themselves as representing a particular team uh, and that causes another problem. Uh, It seems to me that that no matter how well the protocol is initiated, no matter how much the protocol is specific as to what will happen and how it should happen and why it should happen, I'm not sure that the, that the punishment actually fits the crime still. Yes, and that's that's a tricky, that's the really tricky bit that you've probably got to tread carefully because are you identifying that those supporters are from that specific club or are they just there to cause more that and, and therefore the club would feel that they would be uh, un rightfully punished because it's no their supporters and that's where you're probably looking at well let's try and go down this way first and deal with it eject the supporters and then if it happens again then there needs to be the further uh, the further punishment um, where you close the, 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 the part of the stadium because again there'll be people who go to the game who want to go and watch the football and they're only interested in the football and no interested in any other stuff and it would would it be wrong to punish them for something that they've not been involved in by closing the stadium 
Well, this this is a bit of a this is a bit of a minefield in a way, and I'll be grateful yeah. for your thoughts on this because let's turn it round a wee bit slightly, and let's just say that the team that were guilty last night were the away team of the racist abuse. Um, what happens then? Do you take sanctions against their country, their FA, in closing a section of their ground, or? Are you still in a lot of ways where you hold the the host country or the host club responsible for what happens inside their ground? Again, it's a wee bit of a minefield, isn't it? Massive, massively. Um, Because if it was the away team, then surely the home team have done everything possible to keep them segregated, to keep... uh, the stewards are also the police with regards to that. Uh, they've ejected them for the stadium. They've ejected them for the stadium. So have you made it matters worse by putting them back into the public streets for other people to get them? Would it not be better to keep them in there? And I dare say you would probably, UEFA would look at the organisation, finding the organisation, because ultimately they would be responsible for their supporters' behaviour at that ground. Yeah. Let's move and on. Again, again, yeah. Sorry, go on, Charlie. And again, you, you, just the concept of, well, we can uh, manage them there by buses, by flights or whatever, but once you get into the ground, you're, they're left to their own devices because we can't control the National Association, we can't control what comes out of their mouth and all that stuff, but they're ultimately there to, the, to represent that. Football Association. Right, let's move on to Scotland's San Marino, um, which looked a bit like synchronised swimming at times. Um, should that game have, uh, have gone ahead in the first place? Uh, tell us about the test that the referee would have gone through, how he'd have looked at the ground, uh, rolling of the ball, bouncing of the ball, that kind of stuff. Um, what, what would have been your procedure as the ref uh, at Hamden on Sunday? Uh, with that torrential rain, which hadn't let up all day, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, he would go out. He would obviously be there in an hour and a half before kickoff, uh, and he would be out. Uh, if it was me, from my personal point of view, I would go straight into my training gear, my warm-up gear, and I would get a ball out, and I would start to move the ball. Now, this is one thing that that uh, an inside information here, Bill. If you wanted the game off, you would bounce the ball. If you wanted the game on, you would roll the ball because you can kick the ball hard. Whereas if the ball, you, you imagine the goalkeeper kicking the ball and it just bounces and there's absolutely no second bounce. That was that was a bit of advice that was, that was given to me. But anyway, you would go about and you would see it. Now, I would have no qualms or no problem in starting that game because I think at the start of the game, the pitch was okay. Now, the forecast, you always try and get the police to get a local forecast. So they would have went to the Glasgow airport and said, look, what's the forecast for the next hour and a half? And if they're saying, right, it's going to be torrential rain, you're then thinking to yourself, right, are we going to finish this? When's when's it going to actually start to cause a problem? You'd be speaking to the ground staff then. And they've come out in the second half, and because it's 3 nothing, and no disrespect, would San Marino want to come back to Glasgow 
admit the cost, etc., etc. And also the referee would seek guidance or uh, information from the UEFA delegate. And then they would make a decision on whether we should finish the game. If that was an SPL game or an, an SFPL, that would have been abandoned about 65 minutes because it started to become really dangerous with players trying to play a pass and it was stopping and stopping. And because there would probably be more uh, difficulty in holding San Marino in Scotland for another 24 hours and trying to get that game played again, it would probably be easier or, or common sense just to play the game through. But you say that, Charlie, and, and then, as you've been explaining it to us, which is all very clear and understandable, the the whole th- thing that player safety comes up, and surely that can't be compromised these days, especially when you've got players that are, are maybe high-value club players, On and, and, and with all due respect to San Marino, that wouldn't be the case, but with any team, let's not just look at the other night, although the other night is a case in point, but you've got high-value yeah. club players then, uh, and we saw that the, the debacle there was uh, between yeah. Steven Gerrard and Steve Clark when Ryan uh, Jack came back injured from the last yeah. Scotland training camp and, and, and get-together. Uh, if a player had been injured in that weather, surely then there is a case against either UEFA or the referee or whatever in terms of the, the, the player safety that it's been irresponsible to continue playing the game. And whether it means staying in Glasgow for 24 hours um, yeah. for a, a team as opposed to a player becoming seriously injured, surely the serious injury has got to be the primary consideration. And, and I agree with it. And again, it would probably been more difficult and more pressure on the decision had it been uh, four weeks earlier when Scotland were playing Belgium. If that had turned out in the scenario, and I get it that I may be contradicting myself here, um, but when you look at the, the, the game, and as we've, we've identified no disrespect to, to San Marino and also no disrespect to to the, the Scotland players, yes, the players' safety, but the referee would then be talking through the game as if to say, look, I get it, I wholeheartedly agree, but don't put in any silly tackles. We're now at 4 nothing. we're now at 5 nothing. The game is away from San Marino. Let's just try and play it out and, and, uh, and, and take the game and do it in a way. And I get the concept of Yes, we've always got to think of players' safety with regards to that. But in this case, it would be a get the game played and get it finished. And, and would, you, would you come back? Would you come back and play it? Would the weather have actually hold it up uh, 24 hours later? That's, that's a, a decision that's probably hypothetical in any way, shape or form. But on that side, you're... You're looking just to get the game because of the type, because of the two teams, because of the type of game. You'd have just been looking to get it played through wholeheartedly. Yes, if anything happens on the pitch with regards to that, the referee is not held responsible for it, um, and that clearly states in the laws of the game that the referee is, is with bad tackles, etc., etc. So again, 
as an experienced referee, you'd be looking to talk players through the game uh, and, and just all you want to do is, can I use the word common sense, we, we finish the game and, and get in for a warm shiver. You would agree, though, by the end of that game, that, that pitch was totally unplayable. Yes, wholeheartedly. When you can't, when you can't pass the ball more than five yards and it's holding up, yes, wholeheartedly. Um, but it goes back to, can I go back to my decision of what's the easier decision to defend? Playing the game on or cancelling the game, abandoning the game um, for that? And yes, it should have been, and, and, and the right should have been postponed because the pitch is unplayable. But because you're then 10 minutes to go, five minutes to go, just just try and work with me. That's what the referee would have been saying. Just try and work with me, guys. Get it through, etc., etc. What about the argument, Charlie, though, that there is a propensity, a, a, a reasonable one, that goals could have been given up and sacrificed because of the pitch? Yes, yes, uh huh. Um, again, if you if you, you sit and go through it with a with a fine tooth comb and and uh, any tap for tap, well, yeah, the easier decision and I get it. The easier decision would have been after sixty minutes, abandon the game, and then go through everything with regards to there. But again, the expense to San Marino, the expense to to Everybody trying to get it all organised again. Um, just play the game and, and, and deal with it. And, and yes, um, will, will something happen because of the goal difference of where the two teams are sitting? I doubt uh, it. Now. I, think, I doubt it because yeah, of San Marino's San Marino's record. Yeah. I think you know when you look at it yeah. that way. Did it have any great bearing on the result? I don't think so. I mean, Scotland had done most of the damage no. before the park was unplayable. Yeah, yeah. and 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 would that result uh, result in? And can I can I use the words the different two teams qualifying? I think we know that Russia and Belgium are going to qualify yeah, yeah. from that group as well. So I think that would have been. I reckon there would have been a conversation between the delegate and the match referee at half time. And the concept, well, this is what we would like to do. This is try and get it, try and get it finished. Talk to everybody, explain the situation. And I think everybody would have been happier to, to finish the game and, and, and move on. Uh, whilst the pitch, yes, I guess the pitch was unplayable. Charlie, have you ever had to abandon a match? Have you ever been involved in a match where you had to call time on it for any reason? For any reason? Yeah, I mean, well, um, one of the one of the worst days in my life was um, a Hamilton Clyde game, um, and it was a young guy, McCabe. I can't remember his first name. <laughs> and Dougie Emery went in in a tackle, and he caught him on his heart. I thought he caught him on his throat. He caught him, in, and you know how the plastic boots. At the ankle, I've got protectors. Yes. I hit him on the heart, and it stopped his heart. Good God. And we we abandoned the game after 15 minutes, and there was, there was a physio at Hamilton, an, an older lady, uh, and she if Hamilton hadn't had a defibrillator, 
I'm a hundred percent sure that guy would have lost his life. Um, and it was one of the worst and to abandon and uh, the, the two chairmen and everything come in, the police come in and and at that time Hamilton had AstroTurf, they were still in the in the, the, the championship as it was then. Uh, and everybody and I say, gentlemen, the last I know there's only fifteen minutes to go, but the last thing in our mind is to play a game of football. Uh, and everybody agreed and it, the ambulance didn't move for twenty five minutes. Good grief. Um, apparently the apparently the boy's heart had stopped twice after getting it started again with a defibrillator. Um, but lucky enough that the, the young boy survived and also uh, Scott Struthers was the secretary of Hamilton at the yeah, time yeah. who sent us a and Peter Donald was the secretary of football league who who both sent me a letter about how I had handled the game uh, and also they found out that that young boy McCabe had an underlying heart problem and I don't think he's played football uh, ever since um, but that was abandoning the game that was the worst that was the worst day uh, in my football career I mean that 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 really makes things like a waterlogged park and things like that pales into sig- insignificance uh, readily. Un- then, unbelievable, unbelievable. Because um, Easton, the, the guy Easton, he's back at Hamilton, and, yeah. he, and he was greeting, he was greeting on the park, and of course the players' natural reaction is to crowd run, and we just everybody up the tunnel, Billy Billy Reed was the manager of Hamilton at the mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. and Joe Miller was at Clyde and everybody was going up the tunnel and there was a bit of a fracas in the tunnel between players because emotions were so high. But once we get everything all calmed down, yes, um, a waterlogged pitch and, 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 and all that, it really does um, throw things in a different, different light. Well, that's a horrible story. Oh, it, it, was, it was a... It was a, a, a horrible, it was a, a horrible, horrible time, though. Um, and, and you're just, you, you, one of the days, and, and Billy Reid phoned us a couple of days after just to see how I was, because uh, he, he, he could see that, that, that everybody, everybody's face, the, the colour went in everybody's face, and of course everybody turns to the referee, and, and you're abandoned, it's abandoned, guys, we can't do anything. And Les was the chairman at Hamilton, and and uh, again everybody totally agreed with the decision. But um, I'm, I'm sure any referee making that decision would have, would have agreed with, with what I'd done for that point. So Billy phoned us a couple of days just to see how I was, and, and I've, with a conversation, etc., etc. Charlie, just before I let you go, obviously we we seem to at this point, and it's still a long way to go, but we seem to have one of the compet- most competitive seasons in the uh, the Premier League in Scotland that we've had for for many a year. Um, the mere yeah. fact that we have and we are where we are, and it is so close, how much extra pressure does that put on referees? Oh, uh, a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of pressure because. And they'll start to look at decisions that go for and go against, etc. Um, we've got uh, Mr. Clancy back in the middle. He done the Celtic Hibs game, so he's now doing the Hearts Rangers game on Sunday. So again, they'll be looking. Well, why did he not do this? Why did he not do that? Uh, referees will be going out to do their utmost and their best, 
Um, but there'll be a lot of scrutiny and pressure on our decisions in order for them to go out there. And we always say, and I know from from a public point of view, referees within house, let's concentrate on the big decisions and try and get them right. Oils a throw in uh, going the wrong way in the grand scale of things is maybe not as important as a penalty or a non-penalty, a goal, a no-goal, an offside goal. And every referee will be going out from now on because it is so close to try and get those big decisions right. Right. Well, I've got one last question to ask you because you brought in the throw-in. And I've got a question which has been puzzling me for season after season after season. And it seems that it's getting more and more out of hand because of the long throw experts. Why are referees not giving foul throws in a lot of occasions where it is quite clear that the player with these long throws is actually infringing the rules? The pre-match instructions will be that the linesman will watch his feet and the referee will watch his hands. They had a big argument with Kip Broadfoot once. Kip was at Rangers and he'd he done these throw-ins. He brought it around the side of his head. There was, one like, there was the one like that the other week and I think it might have been a Livy throw. Right, yeah, and for that, that that's down to the individual, the individual referee who, again... He needs to he needs to look at the where the ball is coming from because it clearly states it must come from behind you, over and behind your head. Um, and again, if there's a foul throw bill and a goal comes from it, it will be blown right out of no proportion, but it will be highlighted. And why was that, etc. Uh, no retaking in that. Charlie. I watched one the other week and it was in England and a boy, I think it was for West Ham, took a throw and the ball was in his hands at his chin before he let it go uh, and threw it into the ground for one of his, his uh, you know, players to collect. Uh-huh. And I uh-huh. thought, how can the referee not see that? See that? Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe just looking away can Maybe just looking away at the wrong time, uh, and as I say, the assistant referee is concentrating on the feet. Uh, anything above the waist aspect would be the referee's decision. You must uh, notice these. Yes, you must notice these yourself, surely. Yeah, I watched them. I watched them, and I can. Sh- my son and daughter, Dad, keep quiet. I can shout out myself. Oh, Phil, show. Oh, yellow card. Oh, oh, he's away. I still watch games as if you're in the middle, any type of thing. As you're right, Bill, as you're right, Bill, because the the the, the, Rangers, the Rangers and Celtic are so close, and there is a, a, a real title challenge on this season. Yeah, referees will need to make sure that they are going into the games day number one. All right, Charlie, always good to talk to you, mate. We'll speak to you next week, same time, same place. Thank you for that. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your evening. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure as always. No problem. Charlie Richmond there, our man in the middle, the man in black, talking to us uh, about waterlog pitches and about racism and among other things. But the foul throw thing really does start to rankle on you after a while. You know, you sit and watch them and you can see their feet going over the line. You can see them travelling with the ball. There's all sorts of different things that go on and different things that happen. And you think, if you can see it from where we are, the referee's like five or six feet away from it. Why doesn't he see it? 
Just another talking point. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. We're looking at women's football. We'll speak to Chris Marshall about the big stories of a cup weekend. Uh, that's next on Talking Football. Let's hear it for the girls. Looks at every issue affecting Scottish women in Scottish sport, from the participation to the administration. Maureen McGonigal leaves no stone unturned on all the issues affecting women's sport in Scotland. Focusing on sport from a woman's perspective, let's hear it for the girls. Salutes the stars of tomorrow. Tomorrow and the legends of today. Catch Maureen every Tuesday evening at 8 pm only on Rock Sport Radio. Love music, live sport. William, Pamela, and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank or financial advisor, even if you no longer have the investment or the paperwork, Goodwin Barrett. Barrett could help. Discover how much you could be owed. Text GOOD to 6677. Text GOOD to 6677 now. It's easy to put things off. I'll sort it tomorrow. It'll wait. Well, turns out if you're a man with prostate disease, the sooner you spot it, the better it can often be treated. So if your dad or brother have had prostate cancer or you're having trouble with your waterworks, do something about it. See your GP or visit prostatescotland.org.uk for more information. Prostate Scotland. Pull your finger out. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, talking football for this Tuesday evening. Let's uh, bring on our final guest. Uh, talking women's football, you know, in the same way that we've been big supporters of the Lowland League and with George Fraser on earlier on, we've been big supporters of women's football here at Rocksport. Well, most of us have. The wee guy McCabe's not keen, but he's not in tonight, so we'll talk about it with impunity. Uh, Going to bring in Chris Marshall, leading the line podcast, and uh, the Scottish women's football media guy. Uh, Chris, first of all, uh, women's football... Um, I've spoken to a few coaches so far this season, and there seems to be a, a general disappointment that we've not seen a bit of a legacy or kick on from Scotland getting to the World Cup is that because of the way the tournament finished for us or is it just generally that we were over optimistic that something more would come out of it for the women's game um, I think uh, I think probably builders I don't necessarily think people are over optimistic I don't think that as bad as the, the, the end result was at the World Cup in that, that final game against Argentina I think there's still once everybody took a breath at that positivity of that, what that meant for Scotland getting to a World Cup and obviously being the first national side to do that for a long time. But maybe there was a little bit of optimism. I would say that the, the in terms of the, the attendances, I feel like the game has got a higher profile. I feel like there's more people at the games. Um, I think there's more people talking about the games, like we're, like we're doing this evening. Um, there's obviously big conversations about that, a lot of funding that came at the back of the World Cup and there seems to be a lot of stalling with that at the moment. I think that's a, a point of frustration for a lot of people involved in women's football at the moment. But um, if, if you were to ask me in terms of the situation in women's football in Scotland post-World Cup and pre-World Cup, I think it is, we are in a better place, but I think it's important that we don't expect everything at once and I think that's maybe sometimes, it, including myself, that we're all a little bit guilty of. What was, I mean, realistically, if you can, kind of frame what the, the expectation level was post-World Cup, what, what we expected in Scottish football, where we thought the bonuses would come? 
Um, I think I think everybody was hoping that they would see a boost in attendance, and I think we have seen that, um, and certainly at domestic level in the SWPL. We've seen some really big crowds, that, and obviously it's contextual if you look at it against the men's game. I think that's a common mistake people make, but we have seen some bigger crowds. We have seen people new to the game get involved and ask more questions about it, which is obviously brilliant to see. There was a ton of coverage from the Scottish Cup finals this past weekend, both across BBC on radio, um, obviously through the, the social media channels of Scottish Women's Football, and across a, a range of sources as well, which is brilliant to see. Um, I think, I think probably. Everybody maybe had an expectation that the investment, that the money that was talked about, and it was talked about by, by Ian Axel during the World Cup, and maybe a little bit carelessly because it, there wasn't a plan in place at that time. I think everybody's keen to see what that money's going to do and where, where it's going to go because there's lots of people who have their own ideas about it. But I think the general consensus is that there's still a need to maybe boost the infrastructure a little bit in the first instance before we then look at some of the more kind of grandiose plans that have been said in circles of kind of higher above, obviously, people like me in terms of uh, influence. What about the what about the, the the discussion about teams becoming professional in Scotland? Because uh, the you know there's the kind of full time and there's not the full time element, and it seems that obviously the haves consider it and can do it, the have nots can't. Are we in danger of making it? I don't know the best way to put this. Are we in danger of creating a league because of an inequality um, that isn't taken as seriously as it should be or might be? Um, I can understand the, the looking looking at it from that perspective, but I think you'd only have to look at the men's game and the, the inequality you see with the old firm, or see in the points, even especially now with Rangers haven't come back, back up through the leagues. But I think that the big thing about the... the the debate around the, the professional—I think professional is too too full on at the moment for Scottish women's football. It's, it's not ready for that. But the, certainly, the semi-pro move. Obviously, uh, Rangers made the big announcements um, kind of a couple of months ago. Now, Celtic have made similar announcements. Glasgow City are doing very well, and Hibs have done very well in Europe as well. Um, sustainability. If you speak to any of these Scottish women's football, it's about sustainability. We don't want to be in a situation where six months a year, eighteen months down the line. Uh, with all this money's been given out, and then all of a sudden it has to come drawn back in again. And I think that's a big, the big thing that I think everybody's in agreement about. It has to be sustainable because you can throw lots of money at it. And to give an example, about like Manchester City, they are obviously they're doing very well at the moment, but they can afford to run at a loss because their men's side subsidises. Yeah. All the wages and the Is it is it a source of disappointment that and, and there are very good sponsors who have stuck by the the women's game in Scotland, Scottish Building Society and uh, and SSE uh, have been very staunch and, and very very big supporters of of the game uh, in our country. Is there a wee bit of a disappointment? And is that what can the the women's game do to attract more commercial uh, input and interest? I think coverage is a big thing. Um, as you say, the, the, the support that uh, women's football gets just now from the SSE in terms of sponsoring the grassroots and Scottish Cup and it's, uh, Scottish Building Society who sponsor the, the Women's Premier League just now is fantastic. But in terms of getting that bigger, the media coverage needs to be there. I mean, we there is sometimes elements on the BBC Sport website, and I, I use this as a point of reference, but on West TV, they turn up at press conferences and provide content as well. But as coverage is getting to know players, it's getting to know 
how the league works it's a very simple things like that that sometimes maybe get a little bit lost and try to make something and shiny and glossy and actually the, the basics making sure they are right and in the fundamental place but success I think you've seen that with the Scottish women's national side if Scotland hadn't qualified for that World Cup would have got 18,000 at Hamden for a friendly against Jamaica probably not I think that's, that's, I think that's not unfair to say but I think um, successful sides like we've seen the Glasgow City this season, particularly in Europe. Um, I think that helps. But yeah, a, a broader coverage and conversations like this, where people have the opportunity to, to listen to it and learn a little bit more, are, are obviously fantastic for that as well. Well, we'll come back to the cup matches in just a minute. But you, man, you mentioned Glasgow City in Europe, and, and we were talking about them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're up against Bronby tomorrow. Uh, Glasgow City are, are, are back in a bit of a purple patch, aren't they? Um, certainly in terms of uh, the league form, uh, they are undefeated in the league so far this season. They currently sit at 16 wins from 16 and they had a, a very good uh, last 32 tie against SC Chernobyl from Moscow. Um, went over to Russia and won 1-0 and then coming back to Peters Hill Park and really kind of putting on a show in the seat in them, uh, 4-1. So I think they, they're doing really well. In terms of the draw, Bromby, um, it was a question that was asked of Scott Bruce, the head coach, a number of times as to whether Bromby would have been one of the sides he picked. He refused to answer it, but when you looked at the possibility of playing a team like Lyon or Barcelona or Manchester City, Bromby were definitely one of the, the sides that City could have faced that they would have found the chances with. And I think they showed, especially in that night against Chiltanova at Peters Hill Park, that they are more than a, a match at this level. And they've got to this stage before. And I think this is a, this is a good opportunity. They should, nobody will be underestimating how good Bromby are. Danish champions, one of only two teams in Denmark to win the league the last 16 years. But they, they definitely have an opportunity to... Give, give a really good account of themselves and maybe get to the last eight, which would be a, an incredible achievement, obviously, given their, their standing. Chris, I may have snatched at this and, and may not have kind of read it properly, but am I, am I right in thinking under the impression that we lose one of our qualifying places for the, the Champions League for the women's teams? Yeah, so we, we had two of this season. So um, Hibernian entered in the qualifying phase, got through that in Slovenia, and then went out to Slavia Prague in the last 32. And, and Glasgow City, obviously, are in the tournament as it stands. Um, next season, it will only be back down to one side. Um, it's very similar in terms of how the men's game works. It's based on coefficient points and accumulative over a five-year period. Um, it's disappointing, um, especially when you look at how the, the UEFA Women's Champions League is, is structured at the moment. Um, for example, Kazakhstan has two places next season. Uh, they have one side, uh, Zagat, who do, um, do very well, but they also have a six-team league. And because of the success of this one team, <laughs> two, of that, two of those teams are now under the Champions League. How, so, how can this be? It seems to me there's inequality. Uh, in the same way that you, you end up with about four European places for Gibraltar, you know, it's just crazy. Two Champions League and two uh, Europa League. It just, it, it, I don't get it. That isn't that. Surely the coefficient and the way that it is then put together and the way that we look at these things, it, it's just all a cock. And we've got to start looking at doing it a different way, or improving the formula to reflect the reality of the domestic leagues. I'm personally, and this is only my personal opinion, but I think that the, the, the Women's Champions League is good to an extent. Um, I, I like the knockout factor of it, but there are still, at this stage, some very lopsided fixtures. And there's been a little bit of a debate about this because you are seeing teams like um, an Arsenal or a Chelsea or a Man City, um, a Chelsea, the team that missed it this season, who have got 
top draw players who aren't in this tournament and there is a push from the bigger leagues and we've seen it in men's game there's a push for the bigger leagues to get more places and I'm personally putting my Scotland hat on I'm not a big fan of that Well no I'm, I'm not even in the men's game I think it's got to you know it's got to be a meritocracy yeah. uh, and for me the Champions League uh, uh, and I know what we're probably going to do is we're going to push people into this European Super League situation as it will, will inevitably become. And they've already s- spoken now about a Champions League pyramid system, which I'm not in favour at all for, because it's not the Champions League then. And if you're getting four places or whatever it is in these bigger countries in terms of teams being able to go into the Champions League, it makes a mockery of it. It's not the Champions League anymore. Yeah, I mean that's a. I, I think I, I I agree with that theory. I think unfortunately the the way that football is going just now, it's, it's never going to be that situation. And, and, and unfortunately for us in a country like Scotland, we are going to be collateral damage in that as the game tries to find a way of making the most money for the biggest club, the biggest sides. But um, I, I think that the, the women's champion league has an opportunity, and I'm, I'm slightly concerned that maybe this opportunity is not going to get taken to do something a little bit different. It already feels it's following very much the similar path that the men's competition has. And I think there's a general agreement that the men's competition has, while still having fantastic moments in it and still having these big games, also has a lot of stainless in it, especially at this kind of group stage level that we're also going through just now. So I would like to see something that interesting and innovative done in the Women's Champions League, whether that happens or not. That's obviously down to UEFA. And at the moment, it doesn't feel like that's the exit it's going to go in. Well, let's talk about the cup uh, competition because it was the semi-finals uh, during the weekend. Glasgow City beating Rangers 4-1 in the first game and then it was uh, Hibs against Motherwell with a similar scoreline. Uh, Glasgow City really are, you know, back to their old selves and, and playing with great gusto and doing well uh, at the moment. Um, I'm not sure really, and in, in, in just, I mean, this seems a really good result against Rangers because Rangers aren't any mugs. Um, uh, just tell us how good a, a result this is for Glasgow City. Um, I think it was an expected one, uh, and I, I say that with all with all uh, respect to, to Rangers in, in that regard. I think when you say an expected one, an expected win, are you expected them to win by that kind of scoreline? Um, certainly an expected win. Uh, I think the scorelines you can you can make assumptions about, it and then something can happen, and you can change it in the face of a game, but. I think that the result in, at the end is quite comfortable, but I thought that Rangers, who have been improving a lot under this Gregory Vignal, we've already referenced it, the investment that has been talked about ahead for the next season, they're, they're still a developing side. Um, Glasgow City would have come to this with an expectation of, of getting to the final, and Rangers probably would have been coming in with an expectation to cause a bit of an upset, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, I think I think it was a good result for them. First half is very competitive, so I would say that the 4-1 score, they maybe masked that a little bit. Um, Rangers came out and were very physical. Um, uh, there was a few robust, I think, as a, as a fair way of putting it, uh, tackles. And I think Glasgow City took a few to adjust to that. But then they have so much quality, Bill. And the Scottish Cup that's worth remembering is as dominant as Glasgow City have been in the league. They haven't won this since 2015. It's been very much um, Hibernian, the, one yeah. of the other semi finalists. It's been very much their tournament. So they have a real, there's a real desire to, to kind of break that duck in terms of cup competition. So um, yeah, I think as the game progressed, that, that quality showed and that squad depth showed. So 
It was very much an expected result, but I think the, the, certainly the first period, uh, Rangers would be happy with how they competed in a, a situation there. Earlier in the season, they, they wouldn't have competed like that. It's the old old trick though, isn't it, Chris, that when you're playing against teams where they've got good quality players, what you try and do is rough them up as much as you possibly can to take their mind off playing football uh, and, and possibly even persuade players that they don't really want the ball. Uh, so Rangers obviously tried that in the early stages, uh, but Glasgow City, as you say, uh, we've had this debate about whether Glasgow City is a standalone club and not being um, not being connected to a, a, a man's club, a male club, um, whether that really is a disadvantage or an advantage to them. And it seems to be that it kind of works both ways. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a debate that's definitely worth having. And obviously, Glasgow City aren't the only one. You have Glasgow Girls and SWPL2 and other clubs further down the pyramid. But um, yeah, I think it's I think at the moment it works for Global City. Um, I think they can still they still have that kudos of being who they are, the success that they have. They obviously have a, a massive uh, academy system that, that more than compares with, with male counterparts and women's teams of male sides that maybe don't have that infrastructure in place at the moment. So um, I think they're very much seen as still the, the go-to team if you want to be successful and if you want to get to experience things like going to Copenhagen midweek to play a, a Champions League game. So I think that certainly works in their favour, and I think I think it obviously adds to their uniqueness um, in terms of the, in the women's game. Not all the clubs at that level are standalone, and I think obviously that gives them that unique selling point. And personally, I, I like the fact that there are these standalone clubs that are being successful and thriving and competing as obviously the, the men's side start to become more and more involved in the, the women's arms of their clubs. Can I ask you a question, Chris? And I'm not, you might not necessarily know the answer to this, but it'd be interesting to see if you did. You see, when we, we look at the men's game and you look at certain draws and you know you're going to pull certain clubs, you go, oof, that's going to be a toughie. I don't fancy that. Bloody, bloody, blah. See, when it comes to uh, the Champions League, and teams get Glasgow City. What's the general feeling about Glasgow City as a team among other stronger European club teams? Um, I think they're very much respected. Uh, to be honest, they, they were seeded in the last 32 of the competition, so they they are one of the, the top 16. They were ranked 11th in the seasons for, for this, this, this uh, last 32 draw this season. Um, so they're very much respected. They they are very good at Beatles Hill Park when it comes to playing big sides. Obviously, the, the one of the big challenges for women's football is the gaps can be quite big uh, in terms of the steps up you make. You even see that domestically sometimes. But um, I think the good thing about it is that every club has an opportunity to be competitive. For example, Broadway draw in Glasgow City probably wouldn't have fancied that too much in, in terms of the, the opposition that they could have got. And they have got good results in the past in Europe. So definitely carry some kudos. And because they have that recurring role as Scotland represented in the Champions League, whether it be one place or two, everybody knows who Glasgow City are and that, that's something that's obviously respected. I was just wondering because I'd never thought about it before because looking at and, and I, I always say to people don't compare the women's game to the men's game they're not the same game compare you know the women's game to teams within the women's game um, but like you said earlier on sadly some people still make the comparison between the men's game which is, isn't an apples for apples situation but I was just wondering the way that maybe Glasgow City were perceived when they were drawn by teams abroad. And it's interesting to hear what you say. Uh, let's move on to Hibs. They've won the, the last seven domestic cups. Uh, they beat Motherwell similarly 4-1 at the weekend. And uh, I spoke uh, to, to 
you know, the, the Hibs people earlier on in the season and I could tell that they were a wee bit disappointed with their form at that point. Yeah, I think um, I think that certainly in the league, um, speaking to as you say, speaking to Grant Scott, the head coach, and even some of the players, I think in the league they've been a little bit disappointed. They ran Glasgow City so close uh, last campaign, um, and they haven't really been as close as that. Um, Celtic have emerged in the league, which has, has been an additional challenge for them. But in terms of the cups, as it stands, they are they are very much the. The, the team of the, the cup tournaments in Scotland, as you, as you mentioned, they're going for eight in a row. They defeated Glasgow City in the final of the SWPL Cup back in April. Um, won, uh, won on penalties after a 0-0 draw. So the only team to stop Glasgow City scoring so far this season as well. Um, they they have a knack for it. It's it's a bit of a... It's, a, it's a sometimes a recurring conversation having you speak, speak to the guys at Hiddens. Sometimes I suppose they would prefer not to have that knack. But at the same time, it's fantastic. And I think it's good for the the game domestically because if Glasgow City had gone and won all these trophies repeatedly I think it would maybe paint an unfair picture because for me at times Hibs can be sometimes play some of the best football in Scotland um, and certainly in terms of the, the way they approach the game and obviously they've had some success themselves in European competition this season as well and of course the other thing is as well that once a team kind of gets into a groove in any competition their headspace becomes very positive and very good uh, and they'll feel as if they've got maybe a bit of an Indian sign over Glasgow City now the final's on the 24th of November at Tynecastle um, which which might in itself not be the best thing for Hibs um, but you know you would expect that Hibs are going to go into this despite the fact the league form's not been as strong as it has been previously they do have the knack of being able to win trophies uh, and cups particularly so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the final and, and how you see it going and why Yeah I mean it's Glasgow City has been I think if you were to ask anybody who's um, involved in the game Glasgow City have as it stands just now in this moment in time is the biggest game available in Scottish football so it's great to have that kind of showcase, uh, showcase game at one of the showpiece events of the season so it's the last game this season in essence um, Tynecastle, you're, you're right to point out, yeah, it's an Edinburgh and it's, it's Hearts, but I think it's a, be- a really great venue for the final. Um, Hibs are Edinburgh-based, and I'm sure they will attract a good crowd. They got over 1,500 for their Champions League game at Easter Road, so hopefully there's something in that. In terms of the game itself, it's really hard to call. The, the, the last... Um, they play each other in a couple of weeks' time in the league. Um, I was asking if there'd be a bit of cat and mouse, but I think they, they both have so much recognition of each other in terms of the squad and the style of play that... I think that'll be a really nice way to preclude the final itself. Hibs have it, as you've mentioned, both feel like maybe they have the Indian sign. I, I, I'm not sure they totally believe that, but I'm think that I personally believe that they do have a, an extra zip in their steps sometimes when it comes to cup football, especially against Glasgow City. Um, but Glasgow City have been so determined in this, in this particular <laughs> I think it's fueled in, in part by the disappointment of the SWPL Cup final. Um, I, I, I could see Glasgow City winning it, but to be honest, still, you asked me for a, a wee prediction, and I, I couldn't call it at the moment. I think both sides on their day could, could beat the other, and I think that, what, that potentially is what's going to make this such a great game to kind of end the season on. I'm, I'm just thinking about Hibs because obviously it's Hibs's chance to win something this season, um, over and above the, the you know the the previous cup that you mentioned, uh, the SWPL Cup, um, and I'm just thinking you know it's going to be an interesting one. Glasgow City have obviously got other commitments as well. What with the Champions League stuff and things like that, um, it's it's one of those ones where. Glasgow City are, are just in such a rich vein of, vein of form at the moment. But in cup matches in either side of the game, whether it's the men's game or the women's game, the cup matches, they're one-offs, and we've seen upsets before. 
Yeah, and and, uh, and, and would it even be an upset, that. Chris? To be honest, if Hibs well, were to win it, say, yeah, 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 use the word upset there. I'm not sure you would necessarily call it an upset. I think, I think if the if somebody was putting lines on it, they would probably make Glasgow City favourites, and there's, there's reasons for that, of course. But I don't know. I, I don't think it would call it an upset. Um, I think it would be a very good result for Hibs, and I think Glasgow City would be disappointed. But I've got, I have no doubt in my mind that if it, the result was the other way, then they would feel the same way. So. Personally, I, I just hope it's respectable. We get as a really big crowd pushing for over 2,000 at it. That'll be another record attendance for a domestic game in Scotland, which would be fantastic to see. And I, I, I'm very confident that that will happen, given the venue, nature of the game, the significance of the game and what's going to be on the line come the day as well. Let me ask you how you see the women's game developing over the next couple of seasons. What would you like to see happen? What's the expectation level? Um is it in a healthy place? Because we've already spoken about the problems of, if you like, <laughs> sucking in commercial investment. Uh, what what do you see over the next two seasons for women's football in Scotland? Um, I, I think it's I think it is in a good place. I think and I alluded to this earlier on. I think there's a an instinct to want almost instant gratification in terms of we, we went to the World Cup and now we're going to go and we're going to see thousands of people at women's football games in Scotland. It's not it's not going to work like that. I mean, for example, we had an SWPL game recently. We actually drew a bigger crowd than an FA Women's Super League game, which is great to see. Um, is that big numbers? No, not if you're going to make that comparison that they're not going to try and make, because that's one of the debates. But I, I think it's in a good place. There's some big restructure coming on next season, so the, the game's evolving. It's identified ways to, to improve itself, and I, I think that's only going to be a good thing. I think you're right, Bill. I think you've mentioned commerciality a couple of times. I'd love to see more... More businesses get involved in, and, as I say, just help move clubs along a little bit. I think there's been some great cross-promotion from clubs recently. I think that's maybe something that's definitely come up, come along recent, uh, in recent times. Um, I know, for, obviously, Glasgow City, they do fantastic work themselves. Um, three, of the, three of the top 25 most um, active and rec- uh, most actively engaged uh, teams in social media in Europe are Scottish, which is Glasgow City, Celtic and Rangers. So there, there's fan bases there to tap into. I'd like to see clubs do a bit more cross-promotion, even more than what they're doing just now, so that if you are a fan of Rangers and you don't have anything better to do, then maybe you want to go see Rangers women team that day, or maybe you're a Rangers women's fan and you want to go see the men's another time. I think there's there's always room to, to grow something like this, but personally I feel like it's going in the right direction, and I think if you'd asked me that question at the start of this year, I think there's a lot of people who had an interest in women's football, and I include myself in this, who felt like it was stuck in a bit of a rut um, but that rut definitely feels like we're coming at the back end of it just now What do you think's taken it through the back end? I mean what do you think has been the main thing that's that's kind of reinvigorated if you like? Um, it's, it's, it has to be the national team um, having having those kind of recognisable faces to people uh, and we know that there's lots of people that went over to France for the World Cup that went over having never seen the women's game football because Scotland's been successful, they've done that well and then you have a Scotland squad that has seven or eight internationals in it so if they want to see a Scotland player playing for Glasgow City or Hibs then they can go to an SWPL game at the weekend and maybe that game's an away game and that game is at their local town and maybe they go the next week for that I just think there's a I think there's a, there's a change in attitude in terms of everybody is very much willing to embrace it and the accessibility of players I think is a fantastic thing in women's football um, you see it after every game players going up and speak to young fans who are sitting in their, and sitting in their kits and spending time with them 
So we've kind of we've, we've kind of gone full circle a bit because we started by talking about the legacy and 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 what was gained from that with the World Cup and a, a lot of people within the game haven't been as positive as you have but it's right to highlight that would be a very positive thing if that is what's taken it and dragged it through that that bit of a rut that you feel it was in generally. Yeah and I think personally I would like to see the, the tone of the conversation change about it as well, Bill. So you've mentioned the fact that I'm being quite positive. I feel like sometimes the the easy thing to do is to go and pick the holes in what's happening. Um, and I think it's right that things are held to account and that there's a, a reason to, to challenge things because that's the only way you make things better. But uh, for me, I think there's lots of things to be positive about and I would like to see more of the coverage about out the games, be focusing on that at the press conference the other week for the, the, the Scottish Cup semi-finals. There's a lot of questions about where the game's going and are we happy with and are we happy with scheduling it? And actually, I would like to have seen more of that focus being on the games themselves. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen for the games? What do you think? How how are your players feeling? What are you going to know? And I think that's a really big big tool that is available just now if if we can get everybody on that same page. Is part of the problem just now then? managing expectation upwards or downwards or, or wherever? Um, I think it's probably, I think internally within women's football, I think the, the expectations, and I include clubs and players and, and coaches in that, I think there's a very realistic expectation in terms of how this progression goes. I think sometimes externally that that will be too demanding. And I, I don't mean demanding in a bad way, but... I think sometimes the expectation is more than actually was realistic and, to use a word you used earlier on, sustainable. Okay. All right, Chris. Um, and I think that's a big thing. Thanks, Chris, for being on with us tonight. I appreciate it greatly. Chris Marshall, uh, Leading the Line podcast in SWF, a media guy, talking to us tonight about uh, the women's game and particularly the Champions League and the Cup semi-finals at the weekend. That's it for me. I'm back tomorrow with Ali Graham. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young on Rock Sport Radio.